uh, will be removing your free will to accept or reject. So, uh, the Bhagavad Gita was spoken 5,000 years ago by Lord Krishna to his uh, friend Arjuna. And um, it is uh, one of the oldest books on earth, but the knowledge is even older than this. So, the very basic of Bhagavad Gita is actually not uh, a religious book in the sense that we understand it. Because religion nowadays is something, uh, the definition that they give is a type of faith. So you can accept or you can reject. So this is not like this. This is giving a, a scientific approach to our, the very core of our existence. That why is this entire world existing? And who are we? This is the, these are actually the, the fundamental questions that any man of knowledge is asking himself. Whether it be a philosopher, a scientist, uh, so on. So, the Bhagavad Gita um, starts from the point of understanding that basically we are not these bodies. So that is the ABC of spiritual life. Like many people use the word spirituality, you know, you're a spiritual person, I'm going to a spiritual meeting, things like this. But what does that mean? Spirituality means that life is not something that is contained within the, 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 the bars of this flesh. Life is an eternal principle that which can never be destroyed. So there is duality, there is matter and spirit. And as long as one does not come to try to understand these two things, he will not be touching spiritual topics. Spiritual topics start when we discuss the fact whether we are matter or spirit. Even Socrates, uh, a Western philosopher, he was convinced that he was not the body. He came to this conclusion due to his own um, thoughtful process. So, and, and I don't know if you're aware of, this, the death of Socrates is very famous um, because he was bringing this new idea that we are not this body, we're eternal being. And that was very much against the very strong um, ideology at that time. And they challenged him saying that if you're so convinced that you're not the body, then will you object at drinking poison? And Socrates said, I will not object. And he took it and he drank of course, the material body stopped working, but he was so convinced that he would continue to exist after this, this life that he took it fearlessly. And that is the sign of someone who is actually self-realized. What does self-realization mean? Sometimes we hear this word, you know, uh, I, I'm going to do some yoga to try to be realized and these things, but what does it actually mean? Someone who self-realized is completely freed from the conception that he is this body. So there's a verse in the 18th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, verse 54, so I'd like to read the Sanskrit to you because it was originally spoken in Sanskrit and it's very nicely sounding. Brahma Bhuta Prasanatma Nashochati Nakanchati Samasarveshu Bhuteshu Madbhaktin Labhate Param So the translation goes So the translation goes as this. One who is thus transcendentally situated at once realizes the Supreme Brahman. So Supreme Brahman means the Supreme Spiritual Existence that pervades everything. It is the background of this existence. He never laments nor desires to have anything. He is equally disposed to every living entity. In that state he attains pure devotional service unto me. So the important point of this verse is first thing he realizes that he is an eternal living entity. Not that I, I was born some 20, 30, 40 years ago and I will die when this body dies. But no, my existence is beyond that. Then he never laments. Because desire, I mean to say, pain and pleasure come and go. Just like summer and winter. 
when it's winter, summer will come. When it's summer, winter will come. There's only two things, and these things rotate. So when we are situated in happiness, we should not be too elated because we know that what is the other hand? Some sadness will come at one point. And when sadness comes, we should not be uh, dwelling into sorrow because we know it has come, it will go. Now, to realize this is not easy, and there's a practice for doing that. This is what the whole Bhagavad Gita is, is to bring us out from this temporary existence. And now, like we have all these VR headsets, right? You know, like those games, some people put on VR headset. And they're very, some of them are very much convinced that, you know, for example, if you go on YouTube and you type like funny VR headset something, you'll see people putting these on and maybe being scared and running in, their, in, their, in the wall or something like that. So that existence has nothing to do with them. It's actually a program that is playing, at, but because it is, they're so immersed into it, and they're so believing in this that it's actually affecting their own beings. So the, the Vedas, Vedas means knowledge. So the books of knowledge, the Vedas tell us that actually this existence is simply a step in our universal existence. And, and we have to be careful on how we take that step so that the next step be also uh, grounded. And if you see at all religions or all um, messiahs, whether it be Lord Jesus Christ or Prophet Muhammad or Lord Buddha, it doesn't matter, they never is there any one of them that has told them you must try to be happy here try your best to be happy in this world of course they give us guidance on how to live our lives but they all speak of a continuity uh, lord jesus christ spoke of the kingdom of god prophet muhammad also says that allah is there you will meet him and so on uh, the buddhists say that you you have to try to be to be free from the cycle of birth and death so in that point of convergence all philosophies of, of great religions of the world uh, agree with one another that when this body is done, it's not the end. We continue. So, to be freed from uh, desires and uh, never lament. And then, very important point, he's equally disposed to every living entity. And that, that is actually the, the core understanding on how all the problems in the world can be solved. Because when we identify with this body, immediately there's people that are different from me. Right? Just like now there's the conflict. Israel and, and Palestine. So why is this going on? Because some identifies themselves as, as being Jewish, Israelites, and some as being Muslims uh, from Palestine. But if you, you break that barrier that is um, separating both of them, and they understand that this person is exactly the same thing as I am, and is eternal, and he is also a part and parcel of the Supreme, of the Lord, then immediately there is a conception of universal brotherhood. And this universal brotherhood can only be brought on the spiritual platform. We cannot try on the material platform. It will never be successful. And the proof is that the United Nations has been there for how many decades now? What are they doing? Have they managed to unite nations? In fact, there's more flags happening, right? There's more flags popping up. Now in India, they want to separate. The, the Khalistan wants to separate. You know, so there's more and more segregation. Why? Because they're trying to unite everybody on a material platform, which is wrong. So therefore, the very the, the beginning of Bhagavad Gita is not, um, I mean to say, going to speak about anything material. It, it brings us directly to the spiritual platform. Because Arjuna was having some dilemma. He was a, a military man, he was a, a politician and family man. So he was about to get engaged in a very great war that took place in Ma, uh, on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, still there in India, Mahabharat war, which was recorded. So <clears throat> he was very much... Um, uh, bewildered as to what should I do because the opposite party was his family members there was a lot of his family members that were there <coughs> grandfather and so on so the Lord spoke about this so then uh, 2.12 chapter 2 text 12 the Lord says 
नद्वेवाहम जातुना सम नद्वाम निमेजनादिपाहम नचायवना भविष्यामहा सर्वेवयमतः परम Never was there a time when I did not exist, nor you, nor all these kings, nor in the future shall any of us cease to be. So that's his statement. Obviously, uh, you know, doubt is one of the aspects of intelligence. So we're going to be doubting whether we are uh, eternal or not. So therefore, the next verse, he goes, So he speaks like this. So therefore, the next verse, knowing that we will doubt that, obviously, you know, you tell me you're eternal spirit soul. It's not straight away that I'll believe. So he's trying to help us understand this fact with the practical analysis of our very own body. So he says, As the embodied soul continually passes in this body, from boyhood to youth to old age, the soul similarly passes into another body at death. The self-realized soul is not bewildered by such a change. Just now we spoke of Socrates. The self-realized soul is not bewildered. So because Socrates understood that he was not the body, he was not at all scared of death. That is a symptom. We are scared of death. Although we might say, ah, death, I don't care. If there's a fire that cuts here, everybody's <laughs> going to start running, right? Why? Because we're scared of death. We don't want to go through that. You know, we've got our families. We've got so many attachments. We're used to this existence. Well, if it can end all of a sudden, then yes, fear comes. So, what is the clue that he's giving us? Okay, the spirit soul is passing from boyhood to youth to old age. So we all had a baby body, just like now my daughter came here. She's one in one year and ten months. We all had a body like this. All of us, we had this little baby body. So where's that body now? Where's the little cute, you know, everybody used to pick us up. Are people coming to pick us up and kiss us now? No, because the body has changed, right? So what happened? How come there's this change, but we're still us? Okay, so this is a clue on which we can philosophically think. Okay, we had a baby body. Where's that body? It's, it's a fact that it's gone. Even modern day scientists, they say that the totality of all cells is changed every seven years. Right? Actually, every single moment there's a change in the body. So many things, you know, neurons and cells and all. So it's never the same body that we experience. But if we want to look at it like the modern day scientists, they say every seven years, the totality of all cells has been changed. What does that mean? That means that we have a different heart than seven years ago. We have a different brain than seven years ago, different eyes, different lungs. Everything has been changed. So how come the parts are being changed very subtly, very subtly, just like the growth of hair is so subtle that we, we don't notice. So it's been changed, but here I am. I'm the same person experiencing this existence. Now, the, 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 the subtle body in the Vedas, and there's two types of bodies that they've spoken of. One is the gross body, which is this one that we're seeing, we're touching. And the other one is the subtle body, which is composed of mind, intelligence, and false ego. So the mind, everybody knows that just like when we sleep at night. I see my, my uh, wife or husband, he's lying down, he's not moving. But he's actually experiencing something. He's in a dream somewhere, running away from a tiger or something. Right? So he's, he's acting but the gross machine is, is not there. It's just like when we park our car, we don't turn off the engine. It's going on, but I'm going at the gas station to buy something. So I'm, I'm not in the machine anymore, although the machine keeps running because I have to come back and use it again. So when the body is lying down in bed, the machine is still running, but the person is not there anymore. The person is somewhere else and is, is having some, you know, we're all having these dreams every day, right? Some, some of us remember, some of us don't, and we're doing things. <coughs> And, and sometimes the, the experience is so deep that we actually feel really intense fear 
or sometimes we even hear of you know uh, uh, nocturnal uh, emission some you know men will have ejaculation at night because they have some erotic dream or thing like this so that means that it's still happening there's an existence happening although it's temporary and we come back to it you see so uh, subtle that is called subtle body so the mind is there the intelligence is there and the false ego so this mind intelligence and false ego can also change uh, just like when we were young we had no conception of I am an Australian I'm a Canadian I'm, it, it was not there does that mean that we were not living we were breathing we were eating we we're doing all these things and as we grew up you are Australian or you are Canadian you're Indian what does that mean I'm Indian that here is on the map okay and this is you know your president and the, so all these layers are being added to our consciousness but we are born simply being we are you're just conscious that's all Yes, and then there's these layer being, oh, I'm a man. What is a man? Well, you have got different genitals and you will you know, be attracted to women when you grow up. And oh, okay. And you have to maintain for the mother. Okay. So this is called false ego. Because I am is the beginning of spiritual self. I am. That's all. And in, in, in the Sanskrit language, it's called Tamaham Brahmasmi. I am. I'm spirit soul. When you add something after, that is called false ego. I am Indian. I am Canadian. I am like that. Even the animals have this conception. Of course, they don't say, I am a dog. But a dog, when he sees another dog, he's all of a sudden excited. Why? Because he identifies himself as the species. The cats is the same thing. So therefore, the Vedic scriptures tell us that human form of life, the human body, is the only body by which we can understand this truth. That we are not the body. And if we are not trying to use the prerogative of this human form, we're actually wasting the most um, jewel that is in this form of life. Because animals have got no clue, you know, they cannot. Like there's no dogs here now, there's no birds listening to this topic. Only human beings can ponder upon their existence. So that's why we should add this to our life, a little bit of inquiry as to why was I forced to be born. Has anybody here chosen to be born? None of us. We were forced, that's a fact. And we we're forced to be born in a specific type of body. That's another fact. You know, I might want to be just like when I was young. Sometimes some of my the little girls that I was with, they were saying, oh, I wish I was a boy or, you know, things like that. So sometimes there's a wish of not being in the body that we are. Oh, I wish I was more beautiful or more pretty or like that. So why has this specific body been imposed upon us? And here we are, we're born. But but the whole world is kind of going on a materialistic uh, mood, right? The, the whole thing is like, you got to go to work. You got to, you know, go to education. You find a job and you get married and that. So we're all caught up in this, you know, enjoyment that, oh, let, let's travel and do these things that, wait a second, what are we doing here in the first place? You know, why are we here in the first place? What, what happened? So nobody, uh, not nobody, very few people will try to inquire upon this, you know. So it's important. So the Lord is giving us this clue here so that we had a baby body. That baby body is gone. We had a youth body or we are youth now. And that youth body will be gone. And where are we heading towards? We're heading towards old age, right? So this old age is not at all pleasing. So I don't know if you can see here. So there's the baby in the womb, you know, the baby body. So it shows the growth of the body, but it shows the soul that is inside. And next to the soul is the super soul. Super soul means the Supreme Lord. So there's two things in, 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 in the Sanskrit language or in the Vedas. It's Atma and Paramatma. So Atma means soul and Paramatma means super soul. That super soul is also spoken in the Christianity. They speak of the Holy Spirit who is all present, who is everywhere, who can hear you, can hear your prayers. So the same thing is spoken in the Vedas but in a more uh, scientifically presented and clear manner. Is that the Lord is in each and every one of us. 
He says in the Bhagavad Gita 15.15, so he says that he's situated in the heart of all living beings. So he states, Sarvasya chaham ridesani vishto mataha smritir jnana mapohonam cha vedas cha sarvayamaham evavedyo vedanta krit vedavid eva chaham. So he says, I am seated in everyone's heart, and from me come remembrance, knowledge, and forgetfulness. So why is it that sometimes we're pondering upon something, you know, how can I do this or why is this so? And then all of a sudden we get an idea, oh, okay, yeah, this is like that. Where does that intelligence come from? Actually, this is a high subject matter amongst uh, philosophers. A lot of philosophers are trying to understand what is this gap between ignorance and knowledge. What is the bridge that brings knowledge to our heart, you know? So the answer is here is that God is within our heart and according to our desires He will reciprocate. Uh, because some people might want to know Him and if we want to know Him, He helps us. We, if we want to forget about Him, He also helps us. Because the, the, we need to, to be seeing things like the world around us cannot have emerged from a big bang. How, how does that make sense? Right, just like if I bring so many bricks here and, and, and glass and sand and electric wires and all, and I blow it up with a dynamite. Is it going <laughs> to fall nicely as a house? And a house is pretty much simple. It's just some matter. What about like the, 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 the brain? The brain is so complex that it's bewildering scientists even now. They're trying to study it. There's like billions of neurons properly connected to one another. That came from a big bang, from an accident. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they all formed themselves and you know everything moved nicely. Like the eyes, we have got this 15 megapixel camera on our phone. This is 550 megapixel. And we have two of them, and they have autofocus. And because there's two converge, we have a, 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 a 3D uh, vision, right? If you close one eye, I don't know if you've noticed, this is 2D. It's hard to take uh, to tell the depth, depth of field. But it, because you have two, then you see the depth of field. So, so why is that de design there? I mean, everything is arranged in a way that it cannot be that there's no creator. It's not possible. So, so it's actually, and and we've grown up. I mean, I'm I'm from the same world as you. If you I'm also grew, grew up in the same type of education and all. So what was our education? They never spoke about God. They never spoke about like spirituality or anything. They, one plus one, history is that, a little bit of chemistry, this, that, okay, you know, go work. That's all. What kind of education is this? This is not real education. Education means to try to understand who we are. So I remember some seven, eight years ago, my nephew, I was speaking to him a little bit about this knowledge and he became inquisitive. He's quite, now he's 20 years old. At that time, he was about 12. Anyway, so I spoke to him. I said, look, you know, the problem with our schools is that they don't teach us about God. And if we start to understand that we are all one with that supreme existence, then there won't be any problem in the world. So I was speaking like that. And he went back to school and somehow there was some morality class. I don't know if you had this morality class. So they asked him, what is the cause of all problem in the world? And they just wanted to see what the students would reply. So my son wrote, it's because we are not in connection with God anymore. We're turning away from Him. They gave him zero, a big fat red zero. He brought me that. I could believe that, that this is a school. You know, you're asking for freedom of speech for the ch from the children, try to understand from them. And when he comes and speaks of God, big fat zero. That means what? That means our teachers are mainly all atheists. And that, that consciousness is distributed to us that we see the whole world as vacant, isn't it? We see all these stars at night and all empty, isn't it? We see like form of life, yeah, highest form of life. We're monkeys before and we came up and we're the best thing in the universe. Good, that's nice. So it's nice for the ego, isn't it? But on, on, what, is, on what is this based? Have they gone and seen all these worlds? 
with their microscope, uh, telescope and all, they judge like, oh, there's no life there, there's no life there, there's no... First of all, define life. First of all, define what life is. Prove to me that life can come from matter. Can they do that? They have not done that. It's a theory. They're saying that life has evolved from matter. Can they prove it? They have never... Science means theory and practice. If you don't have both, it is not science. It's a theory only. We've been taught a theory that life it comes from matter. There was some you know, uh, germs or whatever they're saying, and then it evolves, and then some fish started to walk, and monkeys started to... you know. Please, where's the monkey that is slowly transforming into a human being now? Show me one. Is there one? We've got at least 5,000 years of recording history in the West and in, and in Asia and all. Show me one monkey that is slowly turning. Yet, they say that 10,000 BC, we were like all egg and we had like a lot of you know, very hairy. Please, this is all a theory only. So you don't prove to me that life can come from matter. So why can you tell me that there's no life on that planet? How, don't, don't, how do you know that maybe they have a body that is suitable to live there? Right? The body might have developed according to the conditions. Just like there's some shrimps that live like kilometers uh, in the ocean next to like sulfite uh, kind of volcano. I saw that at one point. This sulfite thing will kill us in an instant. The pressure of the water there will kill it in an instant. The heat that is there is like 70 degrees Celsius and there are shrimps there. Can you live there? You cannot. So that means that according to the, the environment, a specific type of body is created. So we, we just try to bring an understanding of God in human society. This is our mission. This is what we're trying to do. And we're not here to try to you know, convert anybody or anything. But by such talk, we just hope to be you know, planting the seed of, of uh, uh, inquisitiveness in the heart of people who listen. And this book of knowledge changed the life of millions of persons. And this is 5,000 years old. You know, uh, Heisenhower, he quoted the Bhagavad Gita right when he dropped the bomb. Very horrific uh, act that he did. He quoted Bhagavad Gita, death I am, destroyer of the world, you know, because at one point that... So Einstein was reading the Bhagavad Gita. There's many great minds, even now there's many actors that read the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, Will Smith is reading the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, the, the man who, who did the Wolverine, you know, the X-Men, well, he's reading Bhagavad Gita. So there's many people who start to turn from, uh, I mean, uh, uh, general religions of the West because they feel that their inquiries are not being answered properly and they start to turn to the Bhagavad Gita. So. I mean, we have many uh, Bhagavad Gita's here. You can pick one up, or if you're not ready for, for a thick book, we have smaller books. It's the same philosophy, but in a shorter format. So there's nothing that you need to change. We're not saying that shave your head, go to the temple. It's not like that. It's simply what we've done here, chanting a little bit the holy name of God. Because in this, even in the, I believe it's the, the New Testament or the Old Testament, it is said um, that glorify the names of God with symbols day and night. That verse is there. And what is it that we were using just not symbol? So actually, God is one. It cannot be two. You know, there's different... Uh, just like we say sun in English, in, in, in Spanish they say sol. Or, you know, so the name might be different, but the sun is one. And I can see it from different perspectives also. So it's the same thing. God is one. The, the origin of our life is one. But according to the understanding of the observer, he appears different. Some things that he's only impersonal. Some say no, he's personal. So he's both actually. He's both impersonal and personal. But in the Bhagavad Gita, it says that the personal aspect is more uh, uh, concrete understanding. So anyway, so all we need to do a little bit is to read a little bit this knowledge and chant a little bit the name of God, and that's it. We're, we're done. We, in the sense that this is the process for today's age, you know, and it's very blissful actually. You can chant Hare Krishna in so many different tunes, and the philosophy is very intriguing, very interesting. So we'll have another uh, short session of chanting Hare Krishna and then we will uh, have another uh, 
I mean, we'll have a feast. But uh, is there some questions or comments that anyone would like to ask? Anything that you would like to uh, ponder upon more? So anyway, in your own time, we've got many small books. As you leave, you can pick one up and just read a little bit. So thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.